as he's been leading us on this series, uh, Learning to Wait. And today we'll be focusing in on uh, the Gospel of John, John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. And I've invited uh, this wonderful person that I love to come and read the scripture for us. So, Don, would you mind coming to read the scripture for us this morning? not on, is it? Okay, there we go. Okay, so I'm going to read from John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you may be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The word of the Lord. Jesus is leaving. And the disciples do not want Jesus to go. Their hearts, according to the chapter before this one, their hearts are troubled. They're disturbed. Jesus has told them that he has to go and return to his Heavenly Father, and he's going to offer them peace, peace that isn't anything like the peace of this world. He's going to send the Spirit to be a guide, a teacher, a comforter. The Spirit will be the presence of Jesus in and among them, but the disciples don't want to hear all that. The disciples are uneasy. They're sad. They're troubled. It's easy to be troubled in times of transition, times of uncertainty, times of waiting. And this is where the disciples find themselves. The script that they have envisioned for the future has been edited without their permission. The routines that they have come to expect are about to be interrupted. And the relationship, the relationship that they've relied upon, that they've trusted, that they've been able to depend upon, the one that they love the most, this relationship is changing. And in the midst of this in-between time, this time of transition, Jesus gives his farewell address, his last testament, his final words, if you will. And as part of his final words, he offers some wisdom, wisdom for waiting well, for serving well, for living well. And this wisdom can be captured in a single word, abide. 
abide. Let me hear you say abide. Come on, you can do better than that. Say abide. The word abide appears again and again in the Gospel of John. And here in the chapter that we're focused on today, it appears 11 times alone. Abide in me as I abide in you, Jesus says. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Abide Abide, abide. It's almost like Jesus is saying, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that is crucial, that is essential, that is non-negotiable for the people of God to flourish, it's that they learn how to abide. And today I want to explore with you the wisdom, the wisdom of abiding that Jesus offers us. Wisdom for times of uncertainty and transition and waiting. Wisdom that can orient our lives so that we can be individuals in a community that flourishes even more. And I want to do this by looking at three important questions that Jesus addresses in the passage. The first is, why should we abide in Jesus? Second, what is abiding in Jesus? And then third, how do we practically go about this invitation to abide in Jesus. I want to start with that first question, why should we abide in Jesus? And I want to zoom in on words in verse 11. After Jesus has repeatedly said, abide, 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 he says this in verse 12. He says, I have told you this, which sometimes is translated, I have told you these things that I've been talking about. The reason I've been talking about abiding is this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. Despite some of the church backgrounds some of us grew up with, Jesus cares about our joy. He knows that we produce the fruit of whatever we abide in, and he invites us to abide in him to wean us off the fragile joys, the empty joys, the joys that come with regret. He invites us to a deep, true joy, a joy that is found through the joy of God as God finds his life, as God's life dwells in us. There's something about abiding in Jesus that gives us access, if you can imagine. It's pretty crazy when you think about it. Jesus is claiming that if we abide in him, we have access to the very joy of God. Come on, what? Are you serious, Jesus? A 6th century Irish monk, Columba of Iona, put it like this. He says, joy is the echo of God's life in us. Joy is the echo of God's life in us. Joy is part of the life of God, and the life of God is in us. Now, you got to keep it straight here. Jesus is not talking about a kind of self-centered joy. Jesus is speaking to a community, not to an individual. He's expanding our sense of joy, not for our private satisfaction. The joy of Jesus orients us beyond ourselves. Earlier in the passage, he talks about 
the ways in which abiding is, is connected to the glory of God and the good of others. Jesus' joy expands our horizons to invite us into a life that is beyond our private, our individual, our personal needs and desires. But the second thing we see about the joy of Jesus is that this is not a sentimental kind of joy. This is not a hallmark joy. It's not a joy or a happiness that denies the hard, the brutal, the can't-sleep-at-night realities of life. Jesus is talking about joy in the midst of being surrounded by betrayal, being surrounded by the religious and political elite plotting for his death. Jesus is talking about joy in the shadow of the cross. And the next words that he'll offer after our passage, he'll begin to say, hey, it's not just me that is experiencing this suffering, this challenge, but you will experience hatred, tribulation, pain. Yet in the midst of this, y'all, Jesus is still speaking about joy. This is a strange kind of joy, a defiant joy. When I was thinking about this this week, I might not work for you. The image that came to mind was joy with boxing gloves. This is joy that has a fight in it, that refuses to be sunk into a pit of hopelessness. In the words of theologian Willie Jennings, it's a joy that refuses to give in to the forces of despair. Does anybody want that kind of joy? I mean, sign me up, Jesus, for that kind of joy. A joy that endures amid wars and rumors of wars. A joy that endures in the midst of physical pain in the body. A joy that endures in the midst of financial, relational, and personal challenges. Jesus says there is a joy like this that exists. But it can be found in only more fully a reality of our lives as we learn how to abide. How to abide. And what does it mean to abide in Jesus? I mean, this is one of those passages that I've heard talked about a lot of times. One of my favorite passages, actually. And I was hoping when I was studying this that I would come up with something new, right? I, want to say, I don't want to just repeat things that I've heard, but I don't have anything new. <laughs> but I think there is wisdom in what is old. There is wisdom in what is old. Our fixation on novelty can, fix, can, can make us lose the blessing of ancient truth. And Jesus here in this passage just teaches us several things about what it means to abide. And this word abide, it can be translated in a lot of different ways. Remain, make home, dwell, stay connected. And then one of my favorites, stay rooted. Let me hear you say stay rooted. Stay rooted. Jesus offers these teachings on abiding so that we could cultivate the kind of life as individuals and as a community that stays rooted in Jesus in all seasons. And one of the most basic components Jesus teaches about abiding in him is learning to recognize that Jesus abides in us. We hinted at this earlier. The people of God are inherently connected to the life of God. In this passage, God the Father is presented as a gardener, as this 
vine dresser. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches, those disciples. Now, in the Hebrew Scriptures, typically when you come across imagery of a vine or a vineyard, it's usually reserved for Israel, the people of Israel. But here, Jesus is the representative of Israel. The identity, the life, the experience of the people of God, he's saying, is actually wrapped up in his very person. It's all found in him. And to be followers of Jesus is to be connected. Ah, this is amazing. To be connected to God's life. Like a branch is connected to a vine. Now, there are seasons when we don't feel connected to the divine life. Seasons when it can feel like we are anything but living in the reality of God. God lives in me in the midst of this heartbreak, in the midst of the pain that makes it difficult for me to sleep at night. Jesus teaches us that sometimes there are seasons of our life where we feel disconnected from the life of God. And there might be a variety of reasons, but there are times when Jesus is pruning pruning so that we could be more fruitful. Farmers trim or prune vines by cutting those things off, which ultimately keep the branches from bearing fruit. There's a variety of interpretations on what the removal or the the burning of the branches might mean, but I think the heart of the passage here is speaking to how followers of Jesus have this intimate, even a kind of mystical relationship with God. And in times of waiting, in times of transition, in times of difficult, even when it seems like we are alone, we are connected to the reality of God. As I was reflecting on this this week, I was reminded of the words of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Giving his life for racial and economic justice, seeking to establish this beloved community, And in the midst of this, experiencing opposition after opposition, rejection after rejection, not only from white folks, but even from in the black church at times. And at times he felt so alone. And at times it got even worse because people began to put death threats out on his life, but not only on his life, but also to try to harm the life of his family. I mean, we do anything. So you can imagine the loneliness, the depth of despair. And it was in this crucible that he sensed he had a profound encounter with God. And it was from that experience that he came to realize that, in his words, God promises never to leave us, never to leave us alone. No, never alone. No, never alone. He promises to never leave us to never leave us alone. Words that are birthed from one who, when their very life was held in the balance, came to believe that the divine, that the life of God was sustaining, preserving, upholding him. We are never alone. To be people who abide in Jesus is to be people who recognize that Jesus 
abides in us. But there's another component, I think, to abiding in Jesus here, and that is and that's not only recognizing that God's life in us, is that God actually in Jesus dwells in us as disciples, but also learning to relax. Abiding in Jesus is learning to relax in God's love. Now, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were just like completely and fully relaxed? Not numb, not disconnected, not detached, not just entertained, but just mm, relaxed. Pastor John asked us a similar question in a sermon not long ago, and I was reflecting on it. I was like, man, I can't remember the last time I was relaxed like that. I was challenged by how rare it is for me to just be relaxed. I think part of it can stem from this failure to abide deeply, to rest deeply, to relax deeply in God's love. Because I think when we rest deeply in God's love, there's no need to panic. No need to panic. There's no need to put on an image to pretend to be something where not so much energy, so much anxiety goes into trying to project a certain image. But when we relax, in the, when we chill in the love of God, there's a freedom. Jesus in verse 9 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Learn how to chill in my love. Make your home in my love. Stay rooted in my love. Relax. Mm. Just relax in my love. One of my favorite images as I think about resting in God's care and God's love comes from a poem by Denise Levertov. And the poem is called The Avowal. And I know some of you, when you hear poems, you say, ooh, and others say, ugh. But just, just, just stay with me for a little bit. As a way to relax more deeply in God's love in this moment, in the midst of the, the pains and the problems and the challenges that we carry into this space, I want to do an exercise to offer a kind of meditative reading on the poem. I'm going to read it twice and invite us to reflect on it. But before we get to it, let's just relax. Just take a few deep breaths. Be present to God's presence that is with us. One more deep breath. And I invite you to notice, see what you notice in Denise Levertov's poem, The Avowal. It reads like this. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them, as hawks rest upon air, and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain freefall and float into Creator Spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earns that all-surrounding grace. 
take a moment to sit with that for a moment. I'm going to read it one more time. And I invite you, especially to consider, is there something that particularly is drawn out to you? Maybe a word or a phrase. And in a second, I'll invite us to share that if you'd like to. Listen once more to the poem. As swimmers dare to lie face to the sky and water bears them. As hawks rest upon air and air sustains them, so would I learn to attain free fall and float into creator spirit's deep embrace, knowing no effort earned that all-surrounding grace. What stood out as you listened to that poem? Feel free to say a word or phrase out loud. Yeah, that's what I often find myself drawn to in the poem the way in which, like water, the love of God bears us up. As the swimmer, vulnerably, right, leans back and trusts that they will be held, that they'll be sustained, and that this is a safe place to relax. God invites us to relax. To dare to trust the sufficiency of the divine love. But there's another component to abiding that Jesus draws us into. And that's, abiding in Jesus is this invitation to realize the divine life is in us. It's an invitation to relax into God's love, to chill in God's love. But then there's a component of embodying Embodying the teachings, the words, the commands of Jesus. And the commands of Jesus, we see in verse 10, are related to love. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. There is this reciprocal relationship. Now, you won't always pick up on this in some of our backgrounds that there was a relationship between the commands of Jesus and the love of Jesus. But there is a reciprocal relationship between the love of Jesus and the commands of Jesus. To be people who abide in the love of Jesus is to be people who love like Jesus. How does Jesus love? Jesus is shown, give a glimpse, given a glimpse of how he loves and the previous chapter, as he washed the feet of his disciples, including one who would betray him. Jesus chooses love. And Jesus' commitment to the path of love is not an endorsement of the status quo, as much as it's this interruption into the futility of the cycle of violence. Jesus knows the strength of love will expose the weakness of violence. 
And abiding in the way of Jesus is living into that same truth, that same conviction that the love of Jesus is stronger than hate, that the love of Jesus is stronger than dehumanization, that the love of Jesus is stronger than any attempt we might create to try to take our neighbor outside the circle of humanity. To abide in Jesus is to choose the path of love, to build bridges rather than break them. And staying rooted, staying rooted in God's love, this is what gives us the power, the capacity, the energy. It takes energy to be able to love others without losing ourselves and our minds in the process. Abiding, abiding. I love grapes. Does anybody like grapes? Man, I like grapes. Like, I eat grapes every day. They are my dessert after dinner. And I was struck as I was spending time in this passage. And I was like, you know, I've never really looked. I'm so focused on the fruit that I don't really look at the branches. But I was looking at these branches and the ways in which they're small and connected to this vine that, that gives them life. And, and it just amazed me that branches don't work hard. Branches don't break a sweat trying to produce fruit. They just remain. They abide. They stay connected to the source of their life, and just by staying connected, they can't help but bear fruit. Jesus invites us to be people who just stay connected, stay rooted make our home in the love of God. And in so doing, we become channels of the love of God in a world that is thirsty for hope. Now, I want to end by briefly looking at that last question that we raised at the beginning. How do we practically uh, abide in Jesus? Now, some of y'all may be type A like me, And I would love for Jesus to give like three points on how to abide. But Jesus does not give a formula for how to abide. Jesus realizes that the spiritual life, that life with God cannot be reduced to a formula. Life is too complex and messy for that. And and we're too beautifully unique and varied for formula Christianity. And even still, Jesus' words in this passage do offer some general wisdom for abiding. And the two words that kept coming to me were intentional and regular. Intentional and regular. What are those intentional and regular practices or relationships that we find open us up to aliveness, to the wonder of God's love? What opens us up? What gives us that sense of being connected beyond ourselves? One of the ways that we abide in Jesus is engaging in those intentional rhythms or practices that the Spirit uses to wake us up to be people who experience and who share God's love and joy and peace. And this looks different for everyone. For some, abiding might look like setting aside regular time to center oneself through listening to music, maybe enjoying silence, reading scripture, some inspirational material. I like to abide. Don't ju- now, don't judge me. I'm about to be vulnerable now. 
I like to abide by dancing. Well, I put me some music on and just, hey, you know, I'll start dancing, put some gospel music on, and there's something about the love of God, the presence of God. I'll start reflecting on how God has been faithful in different seasons of my life, and there's something about that dynamic of moving my body that there's an aliveness there. The situation might not have changed that I'm going through, but in that process, in that practice, rather, of a body, and there's a sense of, I'm not alone. For some people, a body might look like spending time in nature. Anybody like nature? Go to a park, or go for a hike, or go on a mountain. It's just something, something magical about being in that environment that, that awakens something in you that maybe hasn't been fully awake in a while. Maybe abiding is engaging in conservation activities, remembering that God has dirt under his fingernails, that that God is a gardener, one who cares for our fragile planet. Or maybe abiding for you might be spending time with some of those who are often marginalized and overlooked, those whom God's favor rests upon, as Heather put it last week. There's something about connecting to those who are often left out, those who are often overlooked, those who are often marginalized. It just reminds you of the beauty of the face of God and unexpected people. There's many different ways in which we might abide. Abiding in Jesus cannot be contained in a box. The Spirit leads us in expansive ways as our life unfolds towards finding our home more deeply in Jesus. And I want to end by giving us a time to reflect on maybe how there is a prompting, maybe there's a nudge, maybe there's an invitation that God is offering of how you might abide more deeply in Jesus. But also thinking about what that might mean for us as a community as we celebrate Restoration's birthday today. How might God be inviting us communally to abide in this season so that we might be even more fruitful in the future than we've seen in the past? So I want to invite you to take a moment just to give a minute or two of silence to reflect on this question. What invitations, if any, might God be offering to you today? Communion is an invitation to abide. It's an invitation to abide in the life, the very life of Jesus by the Spirit. It's an invitation not only for us as individuals, but also as a community, as this diverse family of disciples following Jesus for the good of the world. And we get to bring our full selves, our less than perfect, selves to the table. Because we're invited to the table not because of our pedigree, 